0: Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Happy New Year. Um, My name is Nelson, and I just wanted to, as we get going this morning, offer a word about the community email for the six of you who read it this last week, uh, that it says, it's actually kind of bright headlines, so you might have even caught it if it was in your, whatever they call that, in your email inbox, When it's not really just, okay, that part. It's the first thing in it. It says the work of the people Sunday, right? So some of you who have been around for a while know that this particular Sunday in January has traditionally been a time when we create a kind of collective sermon together. And that's just not happening today. So I'm sorry to be the bearer of perhaps different news or bad news. And some of you, again, most of you, probably didn't even occur to you that that was going on today. Uh, so it is the 12th day of Christmas. And so I wish I could say in a spirit of true love that I am offering you 12 drummers drumming instead of the collective sermon. I'm not doing that. It's not even going to be the 12 preachers preaching. It's just me. And so... Again, my apologies if you were hoping or expecting something different today, and you're welcome for the dad-slash-pastor jokes. Um, So it's the 12th day of Christmas. It's also the Feast of Epiphany. It celebrates the events in Christ's early life that revealed his divine nature to those around him. Epiphany is a word that comes from the Greek "epiphaneia," which is translated both as coming and as manifestation or appearing. And so, whereas Christmas celebrates the coming of Christ as the incarnate one, the Word made flesh, God with skin on, Epiphany celebrates manifestation. So, the ways in which the living Christ is revealed to us. It's a good time to reflect on all that's being revealed, all that's being brought to light or exposed. And it's also a time of year when a lot of us find ourselves caught in the web of what Sarah Bessey called very serious resolution mode. I came across this comparison chart that might resonate with a few of us, and some of you may have seen it. Um, It's a little small, so I'm just going to walk through it with us. New Year's resolutions, the difference between theory and reality. So the theory is we go to the gym four times a week. Reality, go to the bar four times a week. Uh, Theory, limit alcohol intake. Reality, we already covered this, see above. Uh, Theory, our resolution might be more protein, less sugar. Reality is more panic, less sleep. Theory is lose 20 pounds. Reality is lose 20 pounds on a weight loss bet. If you're from the UK, you understand that. Uh, Seriously need to lose 20 pounds is the theory. Lose 20 pounds, then gain 25 is the reality. Theory, quit smoking. Reality, quit smoking for seven hours. Find a new job uh, versus fill out 10% of a LinkedIn profile. (laughs) Theory, throw away everything you don't use. Reality, but what if you need this gold glitter tiara? Um, Theory, learn a new language. Reality, learn curse words in new language. And lastly, spend less time on your phone. Reality, Trump tweeted something crazy. I also read a tweet this past week that said, it's January 2, don't try to boil the ocean. Just try to get a few things done by Friday. So I I like the honesty that we find here, and I I think we're finding it more in in, uh, a broader culture as well. So it's, it's good to see that. Now, whether resolutions are your jam or not, there are others of us who are just simply grateful for the new year because there's something about 2018 turning into 2019, just that little uptake in the calendar that says, you know what, fresh starts are possible. So if that's you this morning, welcome. This is a place of grace. A fresh start is possible. At the same time, I wonder how many of us get caught up in new year hype out of sheer boredom. We long for something new or novel or something original or different. We long for something like this, just something to change because we're told it's lame to be content with the same old. We tend to want epiphany in the bright, brash, bold sense of the word. We like being able to say, you know what, I had an epiphany. And the more dramatic, the more impressive, the better. We want freshness in all its forms to flood into our lives and to do so in a hurry. Whatever new initiatives you are choosing to enter into, things you're attempting to take on or let go of, maybe things you're eager to learn, perhaps a decision to lean into the things that bring you joy, I join with you in the hope and the prayer that they would lead us to truer and better versions of who we are. And yet, zooming out for a moment, resolutions, self-improvement, fresh starts, all have their place. But in this season where it's customary for most, if not all of us, to be so looking, in, looking so intently at ourselves, I wonder if it might come as something of a relief to be invited to contemplate Christ. What would it be like to simply gaze at Jesus together, the one whose incarnation we have been heralding and celebrating, to behold his glory and to consider what difference his appearing has made and is making on our everyday lives. There's a traditional text from Epiphany Sunday from the prophet Isaiah that sounds this invitation as beautifully and poignantly as any place in scripture. So I invite us to hear it together. If you have a chair Bible close to you, you're certainly welcome to turn there. Page number will be on the screen. Isaiah 60, first six verses. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah. And all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. Love these images of seeing and lifting and looking, shining, appearing in brightness and radiance and hearts swelling with joy. It's a picture of Shalom. It's such a hopeful, compelling word and one that we need to hear that it's not up to us to generate our own radiance, our own worth, that the mystery of faith is that light is something that happens to us and it comes from outside of us. Without knowing it, Tolkien actually kind of paraphrased these verses from Isaiah 60 when he put these words on the lips of Haldir the elf, said, the world is indeed full of peril and in it there are many dark places, but still there is much that is fair. And though in all the lands love is now mingled with grief, it grows the greater still. If you have come into this season, this morning, with anything resembling apprehension or anxiety or apathy, if things have felt stale or hard or worthless or pointless, if you've been dry, if you've been just meh, if it's been a chore to even care about what's going on in the world, however, you've come into this space today, welcome to 2019, and welcome to the season of Epiphany. You're not alone, you matter, and good news awaits you, that the world is dark and full of peril, but a light has come. Let's pray. God, we again join our hearts together in the prayer that we opened the gathering with this morning, that your light may indeed shine in and around and among us that we might experience your light in our, in our life, in the lives of those that we interconnect with and those that we have yet to meet. We invite your light. Fill us with your light, with your love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to teach a a new word this morning. It's actually an old word, but I'm guessing it would be new to most of us. The word is acedia. Does anyone know what it means, acedia? Anyone heard this? Just some hints. It's not a small, noisy beetle. Uh, It's not a type of hops, and it's not a region on the west coast of uh, North America. Acedia has actually essentially disappeared from the English language, but it's still in the dictionary. And according to Webster, means spiritual or mental sloth, or apathy. The root word in Greek means listlessness, or torpor, or lack of care. Uh, Evagrius Ponticus, I'm sure someone we're all reading over the holidays, uh, he's a Christian monk and ascetic from the 4th century, and one of the most influential theologians in the 4th century. Probably all knew that too. Uh, he spoke of acedia as the noonday demon. The noonday demon. He suggested acedia is actually the vice that causes the most trouble. So here's Evagrius. First of all, he, that is Acedia, makes it seem that the sun barely moves, if at all, and that the day is 50 hours long. Yeah, so it's good to know superlatives were still alive and well, even back then. The day is 50 hours long. And that's a monk. It sounds a lot like sloth, spiritual apathy, but to monks in the 4th century, acedia was more than just laziness or apathy. It was experienced in these kinds of things. The boredom that led to falling asleep when reading. You who are students can relate to this. Frustration with life in a monastery. Now that sentence, I read that and I thought, I, that never happens. That's like Monks are essentially the Navy SEALs of the spiritual life, aren't they? Like They're never going to experience frustration, but it was kind of like... Liberating to, to read that and notice that that is something that happens. And those two things, boredom, frustration, all the things that go with them, in turn, in some total, gave way to the sense of dejection that made it difficult to practice, to stick with the way of Christ. Acedia emerged among and was experienced most profoundly by those who live habitual lives, particularly monks. But it can plague anyone whose vocation is long and and reward is slow in coming. So I'm sharing acedia with you, and by no means am I suggesting that all of us right now at 2019 all have a mild case of acedia. We're plagued with it. Nor am I claiming that all New Year hype is driven by a sense of apathy or boredom, but it does seem to me that anyone seeking to practice the way of Jesus, if we're honest, will say that reward is often slow to come. The spiritual life, as many have pointed out, is not one, of immediate gratification or quick fixes. It's a steady, focused life turned toward God. It's a pilgrimage that lasts our entire lives. It's what Eugene Peterson described as a long obedience in the same direction. And if we've been on this path a good while, or even hanging around near it, even just for a short time, we know the feeling of being tempted to turn off our feelings to cultivate despair, to refuse to become too hopeful for fear of being let down. We get tired of trying to change the world, maybe on the flip side, because we know the world is slow to change, because we're slow to change. And it's tiresome to care so much. To And right there at the point of exhaustion is where acedia gets a hold of us. An author who I consider... One of my spiritual mentors, Kathleen Norris, wrote a book called Acedia and Me. So there's a whole book about this if you're feeling like, yeah, it's a little bit like me. There's some vulnerability in that as well, writing a book, Acedia and Me. In it, she says, Acedia is not a relic of the fourth century or a hang up of some weird Christian monks, but a force we ignore at our peril. Whenever we focus on the foibles of celebrities, to the detriment of learning more about the real world... The emergence of fundamentalist, religious, and nationalist movements, the economic factors endangering our reefs and rainforests, the social and ecological damage caused by factory farming, Acedia is at work. Wherever we run to escape it, Acedia is there, propelling us to the next best thing, another paradise to revel in and wantonly destroy." So as Advent becomes Christmas, as Christmas gave way to the new year, I've, o- I've noticed an occasional listlessness in my spirit that feels like it might be a mild case of acedia. I've been doing more Instagram scrolling than usual. Like, I generally feel like the way I've used social media over the last couple of years has been kind of okay. I've, I've felt like I've entered into some new practices, but, you know, legit try to use it for connection, for sharing, for learning. And celebrating, But this Christmas, I've sometimes been aimless and unfocused. I'll follow a hashtag, not even a person, right, that seems entertaining in a moment. And it only ends up serving, like, as a distraction and kind of a waste of time. And I know it's been something less than life-giving. So I could blame this on just tiredness as a parent. I could blame it on physical illness that has visited our household <laughs> twice in the last couple of months. Uh, both could be factors, but now that Christmas is giving way to epiphany and the stories, the remembrances of Jesus' early life are brought to my consciousness again, I've started wondering whether the sort of epiphany I've been chasing is the one I really need. If you can relate to that feeling at all, or even if you can't, I invite you to hear another epiphany text a second time. Andrea already read it once for us in our scripture reading today. But Matthew 2, the Magi visit the Messiah. There's much to pay attention to in this gospel narrative. We zoom out for a moment. Historically, the church has connected this text with the broader theme of epiphany, the reminder that the incarnation involves the announcement of salvation to all nations. Foreign kings are alerted by strange manifestations of the stars. And like the shepherds, they find their way to the infant king. For what purpose? Verse 2, we've come to worship him. One writer captured it well. The world recognizes the heavenly in this tiny child and the child recognizes the people of God in them. This is not a Christian child only. This child belongs to the world. The good news is not for a privileged group. It's for everyone everywhere in all times and places. So we zoom back in to how acedia might be showing up in our lives. I want to highlight the words of Tina Osterhaus who reflected in this way. She said, The wise men discovered inside their vocational life that the star of David had risen and the king himself was born. Their epiphany did not come from venturing off into something unusual or new. God met them right in the middle of their ordinary vocation. It was only after they discovered Jesus had been born that they set out to pay him homage. They did not journey to have their epiphany. They walked toward Jesus because of one. What if epiphanies of light and aha moments and bigger and better and newness and novelty are not what we truly need? The loudest voices never seem to stop shouting at us to go big or go home, to upscale as soon as possible, to seek new and more exciting thrills wherever we can and whatever they end up costing us. And as we give ourselves to these pursuits, we realize just how elusive and unattainable enough is. We always want more or feel we need to be more. So, I invite you with this image of royalty kneeling down at the manger of holy infancy. Think about this question for those, especially currently swimming in the waters of very serious resolution mode. What is my current relationship with more? What's my relationship with recognition, with achievement? And what if, as someone has suggested, Success is often the first step toward disaster. What if the idea of progress is often the enemy of actual progress? What do I mean by that, I want to share a story. Author Mark Manson said this, I recently met a guy who despite having a massively successful business an awesome lifestyle and a happy relationship, a great network of friends told me with a straight face that he was thinking of hiring a coach to help him reach the next level. This is not a statement against coaches, by the way. When I asked him what this elusive next level was, he said he wasn't sure, that's why he needed a coach, to point out his blind spots, show him what he's missing out on. Oh, I said, and then stood there awkwardly for a moment, gauging how brutally honest I was willing to be with someone I just met. This guy was very enthusiastic, clearly ready to spend a lot of money on whatever problem someone decided to tell him he had. But what if there's nothing to fix? I said, what do you mean? He asked, what if there is no next level? What if it's just an idea you made up in your head? What if you're already there and not only are you not recognizing it, but, but by constantly pursuing something more, you're preventing yourself from appreciating it and enjoying where you are now? He bristled a bit at my questions and finally he said, I just feel like I need to always be improving myself no matter what. And that, my friend, might actually be the problem. Manson goes on to talk about a famous concept in sports known as the disease of more. It was originally coined by Pat Riley. Anyone know Pat Riley? Significant, you basketball fans. A Hall of Fame coach, he's led six teams to NBA championships and won one as a player himself. Riley said the disease of more explains why teams who win championships are often ultimately dethroned, not by other better teams, but by forces within the organization itself. The players... Like most people, want more. At first, the more was winning the championship. But once players have that championship, it's no longer enough. The more becomes other things. More money, more TV commercials, more endorsements, accolades, more playing time, more plays called for them, more media attention. And as a result, what was once a cohesive group of hardworking men or women begins to fray. Egos get involved, Gatorade bottles are thrown, and the psychological composition of the team changes. What was once a perfect chemistry of bodies and minds becomes a toxic, atomized mess. Players feel entitled to ignore the small, unsexy tasks that actually win championships, believing they've earned the right not to do it anymore. And as a result, what was the most talented team ends up failing. Some psychologists refer to the endless chasing after pleasure or after more the hedonic treadmill. Because those of us constantly striving for a better life end up expending a ton of effort only to end up in the same place. Now, some might be saying, does this mean there's no point in ever pursuing anything? Should we give up on resolutions, stop setting goals? Of course not. What it means is we need a bigger motivation in life than our own happiness. It means we have to be driven by something greater than ourselves. And if we don't give ourselves to a better story, we will keep running towards some idea of our own glory, our own self-improvement, some vision of the good life, our perfect 10. And the result will be the feeling that we haven't moved an inch. Like we're in the exact same place. Or worse, we'll feel like Pat Riley's championship teams slowly undermining what, what what got us there in the beginning. Now, I don't know Again, if this is the burning question on everyone's heart this morning, it probably isn't. But however you've come into this new year or into this Sunday worship gathering, here is the invitation of Epiphany. Tina Osterhaus again. Acedia, spiritual apathy, knocks on our doors dressed up as boredom with the mundane and begs to be let inside. Despite our desire for it to be otherwise, the mature Christian life is in large part a life of tedium. It is one of stalwart, unfl- unflinching commitment to feel the groans of the earth, and despite the earth's long ache, we choose to bow our knees to the one and continue to hope in him for our redemption. Does that sound like good news? I don't know. That Christian maturity involves heavy doses of tedium? That It involves a, a commitment to solidarity with the pain of the world? that it invites us into a daily posture of hopeful surrender to Christ and his unfailing and redeeming love? I hope it kind of does. like, And maybe more than that, I pray that it sounds like liberation from another kind of drudgery. I pray we will all experience increasing freedom from the slow, toxic grind of chasing after more. What if 2019 became about taking a page out of the Magi playbook and exchanging the worship of more for the worship of the infant king. One opportunity to be intentional about this would be to join us Thursday evening at Soma for a night of worship and prayer. It's a chance to start the year by focusing on Christ, making space for him in our lives. Now, our journey Isn't about walking hundreds of miles to kneel and worship the Christ child in the place he was born. Instead, most of us are on an interior journey, one that's about the movement from apathy, however it shows up in your life, to the true worship of Jesus. So, in the midst of whatever noise you're experiencing, hear the invitation into Epiphany this morning. As the wise men followed the stars in order to worship the one who hung the stars, We are invited to this inner pathway to throw off everything that ensnares, everything that entangles, and to kneel before the king of our hearts. We're going to have a few moments here of just silent reflection, and as we consider our response to Jesus, I'll offer a few questions that might help guide you. So we'll take a good few minutes for this, uh, and after that, we're going to come to the table together. So let's be still and again i invite you to be both honest and compassionate with yourself of however you've arrived into this space today and let's just consider a few questions together that might guide our response how is it with your soul where does acedia show up in your life As you consider the mystery that Paul wrote about in Galatians where he says, I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. If you consider this mystery of Christ in you, what is the inner journey Jesus is inviting you to make? What change in motivation is the Spirit of Christ desiring for you. And even as you're considering these questions for yourself as an individual, let's also invite the imagination of the Spirit to stir in our hearts and minds what change in motivation is God's Spirit desiring for us as a wider community, for our work in our city, in our neighborhood. I want you to think about the presence of Christ and reflect on Christ's presence in your work life. And how might you pay closer attention to Christ the King inside your vocation? What rhythms and practices might enable a deeper attentiveness to Jesus as you move through your work days and weeks? What prayer is emerging in you for 2019? Jesus, we come together again to, to celebrate, to proclaim that you are the one who has come and that you continue to reveal and manifest your presence to us. We want to be attentive to it. We want to be alert to the ways that you are active, the ways that you're moving in us, around us, among us. You give us courage to follow, to lean in day by day, to embrace the tedium, to embrace the feeling of pain that exists in our own experience, that exists around us, and that you would draw us into a deeper commitment, a deeper deeper hopefulness, a deeper desire to uh, live our lives with you and for you. So thank you for the gift of this day, for the gift of this new year, for the gift of this community and this neighborhood, and that we get to practice your way together and offer grace to each other amidst uh, the messiness and imperfection with which we tend to undertake it. So I thank you, God, for this reality, the reality of epiphany among us today. And as we come to the table and celebrate the, the Christ event and Christ's uh, presence with us in bread and wine, I invite us to um, respond in the, uh, the litany that we often pray together most weeks around the table. Please respond with the bold text. The gospel is the good news that God our Father, the creator, out of his great love for us